0: Welcome to the Favorites, the podcast from the Action Network. I am Chad Millman. Listen, we are in full-on college basketball mode. We have the conference tournaments happening this week. We have the NCAA tournament happening uh, in about 10 days. I'd love to tell you that Scooch is going to be on the podcast, but he's not. Because while we had a brief reunion last week, uh, he is traveling again this week and cannot join. I happen to think if we could do any better than Scooch, it would be with Stucky.
1: So I'm just the, I'm just the default choice, the backup plan.
0: Well, the plan was have you both, and oh, then
1: okay. that makes me feel a little better.
0: Scooch bailed. You were going to be sort of. The bring the depth and insight, and Scooch was going to bring the chuckles.
1: Okay. Well, maybe I'll try to bring a few chuckles here and there.
0: You don't sound like you're committed to that idea. Now you just sound like...
1: Well, let me, let me warm up a little bit.
0: Dude, you've been working since like 2 o'clock this morning. You've already done I'll Take That Bet on ESPN+. I know you're putting together some college basketball tournament uh, conference previews right now. Like, you're doing a podcast. How much warmer do you have to be?
1: I mean, I'm I'm pretty warm. I just mean for the flow of this. I mean, I've also recorded about I think nine podcast episodes in the last two nights. So that's true. Uh, yeah, it's been a a crazy week, but it's the it's March. There's zero complaints on my end. This it's is a good time to remind
0: people. This is a good time to remind people that, like, honest to God, one of my favorite podcasts is the Action Network Colleges podcast that you are doing with Michael Rand, Mike Randall, and Eli Herskovich and uh, Colin Wilson and. I loved this, and I tweeted this out the other day when I was listening to it, I think on Friday or Saturday. Like, you opened the podcast, and you're getting so good at hosting these podcasts, but you opened the podcast with the four of you, all four of you are on the Jacksonville State UT Martin game. And if people remember, the last time you were on the podcast a couple weeks ago, I, like, randomly chose Jacksonville State from the Ken Palm rankings. They were 119th. And I'm like, give me something about Jacksonville State. And you had the entire lineup uh, broken down and sort of their chances to make the tournament and why you like them. And in that game, I think you bet Jack State.
1: No, we actually, we we all had Tennessee Martin plus 10, but we had Jacksonville State to win the conference tournament. And I'm sort of disappointed that you brought it up because I'm trying to move on from that. They got absolutely (laughs) robbed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> robbed against Murray State, who beat them by two. There was made up flagrant technicals. I mean, there was people. I mean, unbiased people were complaining about it on Twitter. That's how I always know if the reps are bad, because um, it's easy to have a lens where you're like, this this call screwed me. But I saw, you know, from your old world, Stanford, Steve, and Van Pelt were tweeting like, this is just hard to change the whole game. Um, so i was I was mad because I really thought Jacksonville State had a shot, and I wanted to see them in the tournament, but it was not meant to be
0: do you feel like um there are more people in the market on teams like Jacksonville State than there ever have been
1: uh yeah i mean it's and it's only gonna get it's only growing um so just i mean what's there's a data revolution in college basketball and it's creating more efficient lines than we've ever seen, especially with totals. um, And uh, it's only going to get more efficient over time.
0: Explain to me what you mean by a data revolution.
1: I mean, there's just having access to something, you know, the general public for, you know, a a really small fee, having access to something like Kenpom, uh, having access to the Action Network and the info that we give out. I mean, these are things that the general public used to not even pay attention to it was oh duke is playing this team and okay i'm betting duke they're really good and have nba players well now people are you know starting to understand efficiencies uh and you know certain strengths and weaknesses of certain teams and you know i he- i hear people that have bet their whole lives that never would say you know i think the line is going to be this or this line is too high because of this. That it's just a new lexicon out of them that I never heard them talk like that. And uh, I think it's a good thing that we have more informed, a uh, more informed betting public. It's what we're ultimately trying to do at the Action Network. But on the flip side, it makes I think a more efficient market, and it's you know it becomes a little more difficult uh, to bet college. So it's not like the early two thousands when you could have a total that would come out in November and it would move. 30, 40 points sometimes if a certain team had a new coaching change and they were going to run instead of grind it like they did the year before. But all of that information is now out there and it's just such a more efficient market uh, in college basketball.
0: By the way, you can uh, get everything Stucky's talking about if you download the Action Network app. It's free. It's so interesting that you talk about this data revolution because it feels like it's been happening for about 10 years and it feels like it started with Ken Palm. Like everybody getting into Ken Palm and understanding the value of Ken Palm uh, and applying so many different metrics, especially efficiency metrics and sort of offensive rating metrics and points per possession metrics that had never been thought of in college basketball?
1: Yeah, I mean, a perfect example is you'll have these teams that are really underperforming or you know, on the flip side, they're overperforming, they're getting a little lucky, and in the past, you know, those teams, you know, say a team was underperforming consistently over the first two months of the season, Uh, because they were underperforming, you could generally get value in that team just by starting to back them, but a lot of these underlying metrics are capturing, you know, their true performance, and you could look, I mean, you can look at things like a luck metric, um, but you can look at some of their underlying adjusted efficiencies and you can and I think the market is understanding how really good or really bad certain teams are uh, regardless of what they're doing on the court and how lucky or unlucky they are they're performing
0: so you've been gambling on college basketball since you were like six months old and when you first started gambling to now how much has the idea of this data changed the way you handicapped
1: well, I mean, I've always been a a person that relies on data. Now, I, there's a lot more out there that I have access to, which is great. But I've always been a person that you know combines kind of art and science. So, I'm a, in college basketball. I love situational angles. I mean, these are college kids that you're betting on. There are letdown spots. There are hangovers and letdowns and sandwiches. Now. It's not just, and this is what I always tell people. You know, I could train my little sister to pick these spots out, but it's a little, it's a little more complicated. than that. you have to have a feel for it. You have to watch these teams, and then matchups come into play as well. Because if, if a certain matchup is really bad for a team, it could override the spot. But I have always thought of myself as a cover that kind of combines the two worlds of the, you know, the the math slash science part of it. And the art, and I think if you can do that successfully, um, combining those two worlds, I, I think that's how you can become, you know, the, the most complete college basketball handicapper. Because situational spots they do matter in college basketball. I will argue that to the grave.
0: Well, I I agree. Actually, might be NBA is really interesting, right? Because NBA, you can almost you you can you know, for lack of a better term, you can predict the situational spot. College basketball situational spots, and you had a great story this past weekend about six situational spots that you were looking at. So now I have two questions for you. Uh, let me do the first one. I want to get to situational spots. I'm going to make a note of that right now. Um, how would you find data, and what data, data mattered, to, mattered to you before sort of the Internet democratized everything?
1: Well, I mean, I would have to do a lot of the data myself. Um, so it was maintaining and I don't have to do as much work in that regard now because of sites like Kempom. But, you know, the the hardest part would be taking your taking numbers, like, you know, number of points, number of possessions, you're getting points per possession on both sides, and then removing garbage time. And you I would literally have to go through manually and do that. So what is garbage time in College basketball I means generally when the starters come out, but people have different parameters. What's the lead have to be? But back way back in the day, you, you would have to go through manually and do that. Now <clears throat> there's still a lot of that work that does get done by betters, uh, serious betters of of removing those garbage time stats. There's some sites out there that do it, but everyone does it a little bit differently. Same thing applies to football as well. You want to take out, you know, those statistics when a team is up 21 and they're just running the ball with backups at the end to really get their true performance. But it was just a lot of manual work and you didn't, because you were only, I was only a one man operation. I didn't have nowhere near as many uh, data and, and variables as I do have access to today. But then again, it was easier to bet college basketball back then. So, you know, it's, both sides of the coin. It was easy to reduce. You didn't need as much data, uh, but now it's becoming more efficient. But the access to data is crazy.
0: When did you see it really become hard? Like what year did it all of a sudden we were like, boy, these advantages I used to have, they're kind of disappearing.
1: I would say probably 2010-ish is when I started to have those thoughts. And it's just it seems like it's just a a growing force. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, maybe about seven, eight, nine years ago um, is when I first, you know, had that aha moment, like, whoa, 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 this is, everything is changing. Um, And, yeah, I think you're right. A lot of it started with Ken Palm.
0: God, he ruined it for everybody.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there was times, I remember when I was betting on college basketball in, like high school there, I remember all being on the forums and this is early 2000s uh, when you could just blindly take you know, a random team on a Tuesday night that was minus 2 and you know, they, would, they would move they, they say they were plus 2 they would move to minus 1 and you could blindly follow these line moves and reverse line moves in college basketball they would, you would have all these people that went tout based on it um, but there was just a lot of simple things that you could do, especially totals. Uh, there was a lot of inefficiencies in the college basketball market that don't exist today.
0: Well, certainly, I remember, like you're talking about early 2000s. That's when I was out in Vegas writing the odds, my best-selling book about guys who bet on sports for a living, and you know, following Alan Boston, and you know, he had it. Just wasn't that hard to get money down, and and, and like. He didn't have to chase numbers very hard. Like He'd see a number, he'd get it really quickly. And he kept everything in a spiral-bound notebook on um, white three-hole-punch lined paper. Um, I'm, not, I'm sorry, not spiral-bound. A um, three-hole-punch notebook, like one of those big binders. And he would just like have reams and reams of data from, that he carries over from year to year on every single team. Uh, that's how he would make his numbers.
1: Yep. Yeah. I mean, I have plenty of notebooks myself filled up. I still love writing. I mean, it's not as efficient, but I still love taking a a notebook and I will take all of my conference tournament odds in there. But yeah, I mean, I, I remember back, this is mid to late 2000s, when on Saturday morning for about an hour or two, uh, I would have conversations with, uh, Mr. Boston about the college basketball card that day.
0: No way. How yep. did you get in touch with Boston?
1: Uh, Covers dot com forums uh, and a mutual friend uh, of mine on the forums and his and uh, you know he he said look you guys you guys should talk about college basketball. Someone that followed me religiously and uh, yeah we just we started talking college basketball and you'll you'll see Boston have some rants on Twitter about the college basketball market because one of the things that they they do, I mean, the, the offshores are doing now, is you'll, they'll take really small action the night, you know, as soon as they put the lines out, and then to shape the lines. And, you know, people will get frustrated that these, you know, some sharper groups will go out and get a number, but hit it when the limits are really low, and then really sucking the value out for others. But it's, if, if you don't do that, someone else is going to do it. That's the argument.
0: Is there a, like, I, I had no idea. You and I have never talked about this. We have never talked about the fact that, like, you had a relationship with Alan Boston.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was purely like, hey, let's talk about the college basketball card today. Do you like this? Why do you like this? Do you like that? Um, uh, Saturday mornings during the, the huge, enormous, you know, 150-game slates uh, that can be, very overwhelming when you're in college basketball. I mean, thats I think that's the hardest thing to do is take a look at a Saturday card, go through it all, make sure you don't miss anything, and then try and narrow down what you're going to bet because there's ultimately going to be things that you regret that you didn't bet, but you have to just be fine with it.
0: Yeah, I remember sitting on couches like in his house watching him just try to juggle every single game that's coming on five dimes, 10 dimes, 20 dimes, here's a halftime, you know, like putting money back into play. The amount of flow that was going in and out of his house was insanity.
1: That's crazy. It was super fun. Yeah, I can only imagine.
0: It was super, super fun. All right, the other thing I want to ask you about, you mentioned something really interesting, situational spots. You had a great story this past weekend around situational spots. You just talked about how that is um, so vital in... Uh, handicapping college basketball. Your situational spots this past weekend, you accurately predicted, I think, five of the six, um, if I'm not mistaken. So yep. tell me what you're looking for in a situational spot, and does anything apply to conference or NCAA tournament?
1: No, yeah. I mean, they finished up. It was something I did, you know, every once in a while during the weekdays, and then always every Saturday. I think they finished up 45 and 30 this year. Um, but they are now pretty much obsolete. It's, you know, and maybe every once in a while I'll have uh, I'll have something in a conference tournament where some team, you know, lost twice in heartbreaking fashion and really wants the rematch or maybe something like Nevada, the way if they get a rematch or a third game against Utah State in the Mountain West final. I mean, this is a Nevada team that wants Utah State bad day. I mean, you had Jordan Caroline punching the fire extinguisher. You know, fans apparently were saying things. Coaches were saying things. They were fired up after that game. So maybe they come out with just a little extra fire and want to step on their throats. But at the end of the day, these are postseason tournaments. So, and, you know, especially with the NCAA tournament, everyone is going to give their best effort. Um, you know, so one of, you have to look at things like, rest, uh, and you know, teams that are playing four games in four days, and they might not have depth. But those are, I think, more metrics-based things than situational spots. So, yeah, I mean, after pretty much last weekend, last Saturday, was really the last hurrah, which was uh, sat, sort of saddened because the season flew by. But, yeah, situational spots don't really have much warrant moving forward.
0: It is amazing how the season flew by. But I also like – this is something else that college basketball betters always talk about, like religiously, getting best effort, you know, getting max effort. As if anybody could figure out what that's going to be for 18- to 22-year-old kids. Do you know what I mean? Like tell me – explain to me how you know you're going to get max effort at this point versus another time obviously – You know, it's different during the regular season, but tell me when you're looking for max effort versus when you're not.
1: I mean, you don't know. That's the thing. People always say, you know, my my favorite is when people will point to a game where I'm like, I like this situational spot, and then they'll watch it and say, well, look, they got beat. Situational spots doesn't mean anything. It's just like when you're capping games, you're not trying, you know, if you're just doing it from a pure numbers perspective, you're not trying to hit 100% what I'm doing with my situational spots is I want to hit, you know, ideally 55, 54% over time. So if I think I have an edge over a long period of time, um, then I'm going to get it. There's going to be times when a team doesn't show up and you think they do. But again, it's, it's really understanding the schedule, understanding the teams really being in tune with, and it's a lot of that comes from watching a lot, but it's, there's a, there's an intuition part of it. There's a, it's, it's not pure science. A lot of it is art. I mean, a perfect example was Seton Hall this past weekend. I love them versus Villanova. because I mean, the first time those two teams played, Villanova was up, I think, 45 at one point. Miles Powell had three points. I mean, that was absolutely their most embarrassing loss of the season. Now they're at home playing for the tourney lives, and you could see from the jump that team came up fired up on defense and was just there, all of their energy. And that's ultimately all I want when I bet these situational spots. But yeah, I mean there's no science, there's no formula to it, which will which will frustr which frustrates a lot of, you know, pure math based handicappers that, that'll just say, Oh, you're talking gibberish but um yeah, there's no you have to be really in tune, watch a lot. And, and then a lot of it's just part art. And some people can get it and some people can't.
0: All right. So we're in conference tournaments. Uh, everyone's going to get going this week. Tell me what you're thinking right now. What are you looking at? If you had to prioritize your futures bets for conference tournaments, rank them for me. Force rank them.
1: Well, I mean, so a lot of what, what I'll look to do is I'll, I'll have a few lottery tickets. And, you know, I'll take a shot on a team like a Penn State. I do not have too much invested in it, but a Penn State at 60-1, to 1, uh, they're playing as well as anyone in that conference. They're really a top 35 team in the country, and they won't make the tournament, but this team is playing so well, and I think that they can make a potential run, provide a hedge opportunity. Same thing with Syracuse. They're always tough in a tournament setting. They're 80-1. to 1. They're going to play Duke after a, a cupcake first game. Zion's first game back, it might be tough to assimilate him mean, in, might have a little rust. Duke can't shoot the three, terrible zone offense. So I'll have a couple lottery picks, but what I really like to look for and my biggest investments, and I'll have a piece on my favorite conference tournament futures for all the ones. There's 11 that start tomorrow. I like to look for mispriced futures based on the implied odds. And what I mean by that is look at the, the Big 12 is a perfect example. You can find... Texas out there at twelve to one to win the Big Twelve tournament. They're gonna they play in the quarterfinals against Kansas and Kansas is out there at about plus three fifty. When those two teams play, it's going to essentially be a coin flip. I mean the line will probably be Kansas minus one and a half, minus two, but Kansas is plus three fifty and Texas is twelve to one. That's outrageous. It really should be Kansas six to one. Texas seven one. There's a couple things driving that Kansas name recognition. What, you know their success in the Big Twelve. A lot of people always want to bet Kansas to win the Big Twelve. This just isn't the same team. I mean they have two regulation wins all season long on the road. Two. One of them was at Oklahoma State, who had a three, had a wide open three to, to tied at the end of the game, and the other one was against, against Baylor. That's it. This is not your older brother's Kansas team, and Texas had a huge slide to end the year. They were one and four in their last five, but over those five games, Kerwin Roach was Kerwin Roach, excuse me, was suspended. He's back now for the Big 12 tournament. He's their leading scorer, averages about 15 a game. They have about six other guys that average between eight and 10, but they have no real guy who could take over and and shoulder that scoring. They need Roach leads their teams in steals. They're a completely different team with Roach back. So there is just a ton of value with Texas based on this market assumption that Kansas is going to beat them. But that's basically a coin flip game. So Texas is one of my favorite ones at 12-to-1. Now they could go out and get beat by Kansas. It's a coin flip game. But at 12-to-1, I'm willing to take a shot on them.
0: That's such a great stat. Two regulation wins during the regular season on the road.
1: All year. And their only other one was out, uh, at TCU in overtime. Um, and that Baylor game was you know, the game after Baylor lost one of their best players in Tristan Clark. But they've just been a horror show on the road away from Lawrence. They're still tough as nails in Allen Fieldhouse. But, I mean, just look at some of the, the splits. I mean, they would beat Kansas State at home easily but lose at Kansas State. They beat Texas Tech at home easily and lost by, I don't even know, 60 in Lubbock. This team is so young. And they are, they are just, they're away from Allen Fieldhouse. They are so vulnerable. I actually think Texas is going to get them in the first round. But it's, again, it's just a coin flip. And the difference in the price, 12 to 1 to 3 to 1, is crazy.
0: All right, so that's one. Give me another.
1: Uh, I also think the Pac-12 offers some value uh, with Oregon. Oregon, you can find them 6-7 to 1. The thing is, they're going to have to win four games in four days, but their first game's against Washington State, who quit, they're done, it's going to be an easy win for them. And this is a team that's really coming on at the end of the year. They've dealt with a ton all year long. So they had Bol Bowl, who was their big, their seven-foot big man, who averaged 21-9. He went out for the year in mid-December. Uh, they had, you know, Lewis King was out for a while, Wooten was out for a while. So they were just had a lot, were in flux all year long. But now they're finally starting to get an identity, play together. The end of the year on a three-game winning streak including a win at Washington and you know Dan Altman is just a great coach. What in a, especially in a tournament setting, he's constantly changing his defenses. They're one of about 25 teams that will throw in uh, a zone over 50% of the time and they'll throw a lot of man and they'll even press a quarter of the time. So they just keep they keep teams off balance which is tough in a tournament setting, Uh, this team's really coming on. It's just a wide-open Pac-12. I think Washington is the most dangerous team in the NCAA tournament because of their zone. But these teams have all seen that Washington zone multiple times now. That's why I think you're seeing Washington struggle down the line. And in a crazy Pac-12, I think Oregon is going to make a run to the final here at least.
0: Washington and Marquette, two teams that I was so high on about a month ago. I bought uh, Futures tickets on both of them. I bought Futures tickets like in a rush after listening to the first Action Network Colleges podcast of the season with you and Eli and Mike and, and Colin Wilson. Um, these teams have freaking cratered. Uh,
1: I think I have another call coming in. No, um, the, the, <laughs> listen,
0: it's just a podcast. Why don't you get it?
1: The... Uh... Look, what I'm saying is, is Washington, and I've been preaching this, there is zero reason to worry about Washington. Um, they're, I mean, unless they don't get in the tournament, which I don't think is going to happen. But they're, they're Syracuse West. That's who they are. Their head coach was an assistant for under Bayon for 20 years. He went out there, and, you know, and he installed the same exact 2-3 zone, and they do it actually more. They're the only team that runs zone more than Syracuse this year, and they're actually doing it with more effectiveness. But you'll see at the end of the year, during the regular season in the past, where Syracuse struggles. I mean, this isn't a team that gets a one-seed, a two-seed every year. But then they get into the tournament, and they're playing these teams that haven't seen that zone with all of its length, which Washington has as well, and teams are lost in these foreign gyms that they're not used to playing in. And so Washington's going to be the same exact thing as Syracuse. Syracuse will be just as dangerous as they always are in the tournament when they get in, and you know these teams will be around maybe a 7, an 8 seed. Uh, and they are just a team you do not want to play because all they do is play that zone. They have one of the best defenders in the nation at Thibault. They're one of the most experienced teams in the nation. They're actually number one in minutes continuity, which is a Ken Palm metric that looks at minutes played last year by all the players on a team compared to this year and they're at over 90%. The average is around 50. So this team's played together a ton. They're really experienced, a lot of seniors, and they have a unique scheme, and it's that zone. And that is what you look for in a team that can make a run with a deep future. I mean, even Baylor, they made a couple of lead eight runs because of their zone. And it's just these unique, a lot of times it's zones that teams aren't used to seeing can trip up anyone in the tournament. Marquette? It's a different story. I, I, Marcus Howard is wearing down their, their turnovers. Their defense has just been bad. I mean, I'm, I, I'm actually hoping that they get bounced early in the Big East tournament, get a week off, figure things out. Marcus Howard can still take over game, go for fifty. They're not dead in the water, but they, there's some worrying signs there.
0: What do I do with Murray State?
1: Uh, I mean, it's. I think that's. I think you want to wait and see. I don't think you want to buy a future on them now. You want to wait and see what their bracket looks like. But I'm not a buyer in, in Mary State. I mean, you can look at a lot of these teams historically in college, these mid-majors. If you look back at a lot of the teams that made a deep runs, they're not generally driven by one-star player. And Mary State is a one-man band. I mean, it is Morant, and that is pretty much it. I mean, there have been, there have been mid-majors with NBA stars that never even – make the NCAA tournament. Damian Lillard comes to mind. Um, But you don't really normally see just a a one-man team make a deep run from a mid-major in the NCAA tournament. Pretty easy to scheme against. They're going to get killed inside. I mean, if they play a really guard-heavy team, Morant can maybe win a couple games. But I think it's going to be tough for Murray State. I'm not. I'm not a buyer. I actually would be more intrigued with Belmont and their motion offense if they get in. I mean, they're, it's an outside shot for an outlaw at large, but it's just Morant, and that's it. I mean, maybe he can go for 40-45 and, and pick up a win or two, but I don't like their chances to make a really deep run.
0: As a regular better, as someone who could be described practically as a professional better, I think the most polarizing... Team in all of college basketball for betters for years, decades, has been Duke. Where do you stand on Duke as a team to bet on?
1: Uh, I personally despise Duke basketball, and the reason I do, and the reason I carry it through, and I don't let it affect my handicap, and I'll bet them at times. But generally, I would think that they tend to be a little overvalued in spots. Their home court is fully captured in the market. But the reason I hate Duke is the reason that I started betting. My dad is a huge was huge Duke fan, and in the 90s when I was a kid, 7 years old, 8 years old, I used to bet him $20 that Duke would lose every game. And it was the the greatest betting scheme ever because if Duke won and they would win almost every game but one every year back then uh, he wouldn't make me pay him twenty dollars i mean i was a seven year old kid but if that one game that duke lost i would get twenty bucks so i grew up rooting against duke i grew up when my dad was at the duke kentucky game and he was sitting at I think it was at the spectrum the leitner shot when he went 10 to 10. he was under the basket where leitner made it and Uh, I don't really remember this, but my mom, I think I was was eight, my mom says that I cried and then I wouldn't talk to my dad for a week. (laughs) And now I uh, am dating and will eventually marry a girl that's, and live in Lexington that went to Kentucky, her whole family are Kentucky fans. My dad says that the only reason I'm doing this is to still get him back for that shot.
0: So wait, you're going to propose?
1: Yeah, eventually. Sometime later this year. Does she know that? Uh, I think so.
0: You think so, or you know so? I know so. Because you she told knows. her. You said I'm going to propose or She said, "Asshole, you better propose to me before the end of the year."
1: Uh, both? No. <laughs> yeah, no. I told I, so I, so I told her uh, that I would. I know that I'm going to be with her. I mean, she's a she's a she's a better too. It, it was meant to be. Um, but no. So I have a personal reason to hate Duke, but I also love him because it's the reason that they got me into betting, but I tend, I mean, a lot of the hate also comes from the, they, they're no longer this team, by the way, but they started the whole flopping revolution, and, you know, so, I mean, people always hate the flops and all the calls that Duke would get on those flops. Now they're just an NBA team, so they're not like that. I mean, now, now the new Duke is like Wisconsin uh, and, you know, all of the flops. So, but I think that drives it a lot, too, all of the the Cameron crazies, the floor slapping, there's just a lot of things that, you know, are unlikable for Duke, but I think it's good for college basketball when Duke is really good, which they usually are.
0: Did you buy her a ring?
1: Uh, no, not yet.
0: All right. Well, if you need help with that, let me know. What's that? If you need help with that, let me know. we Will do. All right, Stucky, I got to go. I got a meeting. I can't sit around and podcast with you all day. I could shoot the shit. I could hear about what's going to happen with your engagement. We could talk about college basketball. But you're busy, you're a multimedia superstar, I'm busy, you know, trying to run an an operation here.
1: When's the next bestseller coming?
0: Listen, man, I got so much work to do, I can't sit around writing books all day. That's like, you know, it's what you can do when, like, you've got nothing else to do. It's like a luxury.
1: Oh, yeah, the answer doesn't have to be today. It could be five years or, is there another one coming down the line or are you done writing?
0: No, no, no. I'll definitely write another book at some point in my life. But um, I think if I had stayed at ESPN, I'd probably be writing a book right now. But that was also an indication to me like it might be time to leave ESPN. I was starting to have like a lot of other ideas of what I could think I could be doing. And uh, instead, I, you know, decided to chuck it all and go work at the Action Network because that seemed like a better idea than trying to write a book. That's how hard it is to write a book. I decided to go somewhere where we could all start a company from scratch. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'm with you well I'm glad that you came on board and uh, I will see you in Vegas next week for, I will see uh, you
0: next week in Vegas that's right we gotta tell people we have a big event going on at the Palms in Vegas next week free event uh, it starts at 7 o'clock I'm gonna be there Stucky's gonna be there Blackjack's gonna be there LaDuca's gonna be there Darren Ravel is gonna be there uh, free event you do not have to pay to go do a little chalk talk pre-tournament chalk talk watch the play-in games it's gonna be a blast I totally should have mentioned that in the podcast at some point.
1: Yeah, for anyone listening, I'll be out there all weekend. I mean, if I'm going out there Wednesday, I can't leave during the tournament. So I'll be coming back. a lot of work in between, too. But uh, coming back on Monday. So if anyone is around, just uh, for those other days, probably at the Westgate a couple days, just shout my way.
0: Go to actionnetwork.com slash madness hyphen party actionnetwork com slash madness hyphen party and it's going to be a blast you get free entry drink tickets a t-shirt um go RSVP. we've already had like three hundred people RSVP for this thing it turns out we're we're big in the event space because remember we had the podcast for the favorites and like we had to turn people away there were so many people we didn't we didn't we underestimated how popular we are
1: well that's a good thing yeah I'm excited for it it should be a blast, and uh, it's it's just a great time to be in Vegas. That night before the NCAA tournament, the first Thursday, uh, which will start at nine in the morning there, uh, it's a great time to be there with all the excitement. It's betting Christmas Eve.
0: Beautiful, stuck. I'll see you out there, baby.
1: All right, Have thanks, man. Time.
0: Bye. Thank you to Stucky for the in-depth college basketball plus the uh, insight, the fact that he's going to get engaged uh, sometime this year. We're really excited about that. We're going to throw a big party. We're also having that big party in Vegas. This has been the favorites from the Action Network. Download us from radio.com slash the Action Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, thank you very much.